Hi there, this is Cindy Tonkin. I'm the Consultants Consultant. I work with data science teams, helping them work even smarter, faster and nicer. If you're brilliant and you want to be even better, this is the podcast for you. So in this episode, you get to hear me answer the questions I've been asking other people. Helen Lawson-Williams has taken the time to be my interviewer and we talk around uh, what makes a good data person, where do we find the best information, um, lots of stuff. Listen in. Hello everybody, this is Cindy and I'm here with Helen Lawson-Williams. Helen and I worked in uh, Research Insights and Analytics together when uh, she was head of the world at RIA in Telstra and uh, today Helen's going to talk to me. Liz was head of the world. (laughs) Liz was head of the world, sorry, pardon me. Yeah, Yeah, you were the the person who made shit happen. (laughs) (laughs) I have no no, um, language restrictions on my... Uh, podcasts, we can say whatever words we like. Oh, okay. Um, so Helen's going to ask me the questions that I've been asking everybody else. So it's kind of like what's goose for the good for the goose is good for the gander. Helen's going to ask me some of those questions today. So uh, I'm totally yeah. not going to call you a goose. <laughs> Damn it! I wore my costume and everything. <laughs> hey, listen. One of the things that I'm really interested in hearing about because you get a perspective across teams and across mm. analysts mm. and leaders of analysts that probably the rest of us don't have the privilege of getting. Tell me, in your observation, what works? What are the what are the things that people do differently that make them really effective in this space? Ooh. Think there's an element of it's it's partly to do with what's going to succeed in the individual culture mm-hmm. um so what would work at telstra isn't going to work at cba necessarily um and it depends who the leader is um so when people are working with a strategic thinking leader like liz is was um continues to be um then that ability to strategically think and bring her the shiny objects that will inspire her to essentially create new things and uh, therefore make things good. That is important there. Um, and if the leader is more into what's pragmatic, so I interviewed uh, last week David Scott from RMS, and as a leader his stuff is all around what makes a difference to the end unit user, the person in the traffic. How does the data we use make a difference to that? So for him... Oh, and his team's all agile. So uh, for him, it's like what makes this team more collaborative? So if I can show you, David, how to do that, then you're going to find me more useful as a leader. And I've asked this question of everyone I've interviewed and everybody will tell you through their own personality filters what they think is important. Mm. Um, so part of it is matching what your leader needs. Uh, when I interviewed um, Shailendra Kumar last week, Uh, He was talking about he interviewed 250 different people for a job, which I think is kind of like, wow, what did you, what what was the agent for? And what he was saying was you don't, you can't tell from a CV what makes a good analyst. And that's, I think, a, a pretty interesting thing you can't I can't say what makes the best analyst or what makes the best team what I can say is based on who your leader is the team will be 
um, will be that who do I prefer to work with? I prefer to work with people who think strategically, who have a little bit of quirk, who will um, who prize the things that I believe are important and which I've seen over and over be useful. Um, an ability to read people, an ability to couch uh, couch arguments or changes in a way that's appealing and enticing for the person you're dealing with or the group of people you're dealing with, not just what you should do, but here's the reason why in your world this is good. So that ability yeah, to... in a sense then that's exactly, I think, what you just said in the earlier bit, which mm. is... Yeah, it is. I understand that... <laughs> I'm just not, repeating myself. But it's not just your stakeholder, but also your, ultimately your decision-maker and your allocator of priorities yeah. or resources is to understand what really will light them up or what's going to shift the needle for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of like everybody wants something if you find out what it is and can put your argument in the way that they want that thing because it's what they want mm. you can do it so it, maybe I'm saying they just need to be aware that people ultimately are the center of all decision making and you've got to please those people that's a hard message for folks who like numbers. It's a terribly hard message. Well, the beautiful thing I find is that when you start to reveal the algorithms that make people predictable to the people who love numbers, um, they start to see that there are patterns to this. Uh, I think it's shameful that our education really hasn't, our school education, or certainly my school education, didn't didn't give me the keys to people. They it gave me the keys to numbers. It gave me, you know, sitting in, you know, three unit mathematics making, you know, graphs and parabolas and all that kind of stuff. Sure, it gave me all that stuff. It gave me the science, it gave me the music, it gave me the whatever, mm. the subjects. But I, I'm hoping it's changing. But my education didn't give me the keys to people. And then when I was in my mm, late 20s, I ran in, went into an NLP classroom and at the end of day one, I was like, oh, my God, why didn't someone tell me this before? And so I was already predisposed to kind of going, there must be some way this works. But, yeah, if you're a data person, you need to get some algorithms around how people work. So how – so thinking about that as a – I mean, the way that you phrased it, it sounds a little bit random. I just, you know, I happened upon NLP as a framework. Yeah, yeah. I was advised to get into the room, but yeah. <laughs> well, good. Not because I was doing badly, but because people were like, oh, you'll love this, this stuff. <laughs> to you. I guess that's that was my follow-up question is what, what are the ways, what are the most successful journeys that you've seen for people who've started very much in the academic background, which is if you just get the numbers right, you'll be set, you'll get all the marks you need, you'll be successful as long as you get the answer right. There's a journey from there to being really effective in organisations. Mm. Tell me about good journeys. Oh. I remember my very first job. So my very first job was at what was then called Anderson Consulting, um, which is now Accenture in different clothing um 
And I remember there was a guy there who I just, at the time, you know, being a naive, I was an arts graduate. I have, I have a degree in French. I have a master's, deg- a master's degree in linguistics, which I got after Anderson's. But before Anderson's, I have a French degree. And, you know, Anderson had a recruitment policy. I think they still do, that they take they take people who've been successful at university. They don't take people who are just IT people. Mm-hmm. I got to learn how to program in COBOL. But there was a guy there who I believe might well have made partner within like three years. He was an IT graduate, but he had the people thing down. He was a strong influencer. Um, he had a name, a slimy name, like like his name was something like Snicker or Sl- it was a name with a slaw or a sn in it. I can't remember his name. Let's call him Snicker. Snicker sounds good. Uh, so Snicker actually managed to climb the ladder really quickly. He alienated all his um, all of his colleagues, but he didn't alienate. He, he kissed up and kicked down or kicked around, in fact. So he, all the people above him were like, oh, well, Snicker's got, you know, he's got this done and he's thought this out and he's done. It was kind of a, a what we as Australians might call an American approach, which was, you know, just be this be seen to be the smartest kid in the room um I learned a lot from him in retrospect because what he was doing while I found it objectionable actually got him the results he wanted um I wouldn't do it that way now but that's the kind of the cautionary tale um that sounds like how not to do it but he got the success he wanted and part the the principles were the same he was still reading what people wanted and providing it to them before they thought about it he was still doing he just wasn't doing that for his colleagues so he was trampling on his colleagues to get to the top Um, in terms of good things um I hesitate to say people's names because you never know if they're going to be like, oh, how embarrassing. Uh, uh, One of my clients at the bank who was a senior analyst and his boss said to me, can you just, you know, can you just play with him for a little while? We need to work out what's happening. He's so great, Uh, except, you know, I don't think he gets people. And we literally sat in the room for an hour and he just asked me all these random questions. What happens if, you know, people tell me I've, not said enough in meetings but I didn't have anything to say you know what am I supposed to do and so we talked through what are your options for that and then he'd ask questions like um uh how do I tell my boss that he's wrong you know how do I tell a client that can't do this so just and he just fired all these questions at me he walked out two days later I got a call from his boss saying what did you do I'm like oh no I just answered his questions I think a lot of and, and he went on to become a GM and uh he looked after his people and solved really interesting problems. Um, but it was almost like he hadn't had the opportunity to ask those questions before. Mm. So part of it is you've got to ask the questions and then you've got to look for the answers. Yeah. I think... Um, but he was also, in that example, given support and permission in the context of his... Absolutely. Work. So your boss has to actually value this. And if, if your boss doesn't value this, then we end up with that iterative... If you do what you've always got done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Um, and this is why Anders Moore is so is so prized within the industry, I believe, because she does give people that opportunity because she does look for the things that are greater. So I mean, if we talked about we were to talk about the best success in that I know of in analytics, it's it's Liz because she's not just thinking about um, she's probably going to kill me for saying this, but she's not just thinking about the numbers 
she's thinking about how those numbers will be received, how that change will be perceived within the organisation, how that change needs to be palatable. Um, uh, she thinks about the meeting before the meeting. She thinks about the... Um, uh, the personalities involved and the opportunities involved um, and she knows about shiny objects bring me a shiny object but also give so I can then take that shiny object and take it to someone else um, because there's so many unshiny objects in organisations that mm-hmm. attract our attention to have a shiny object that really works I'm using the word shiny object to just kind of be a placeholder for something that's an interesting problem or a problem that's going to make the hugest difference to our stakeholders mm-hmm. um, yeah. so tragically not everyone can work with Liz no I know but honestly <laughs> I would do it for free <laughs> and I know you do <laughs> regularly <laughs> So if you're listening, the way to get Cindy for free <laughs> is to be Liz. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Um, how do and and there are not so many people in the world who can be or can mm-hmm. aspire to be Liz. How do we as operators within organisations create more Liz's? Oh, as an example. Yeah, I think part of it is. Uh, there was a guy, I've forgotten his name, but I'll put it on the podcast thing later when I remember what it is, the 70-20-10 guy who talked about exposure, experience and education, that, mm-hmm. you, that your training doesn't just come from sitting in a classroom, um, it comes from being exposed to stuff by by actually getting education and also being given the experience, sorry, exposure, education, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as as... As managers, one of the most valuable things you can do is allow people to actually go to a meeting with you. Yep. But you can't just go to a meeting. You have to actually debrief that so they get the, the chance to ask the questions that my, uh, the example I gave of the, oh, basically get the, why did you do that? Mm. You stopped arguing. Why did you do that? Or you continue to argue. What was the thinking behind that? Um and the first time they go to a meeting, they won't even know to ask those questions. Because mm-hmm. what we're essentially trying to get people to do is think outside, was to think outside the box, but think three dimensionally above the box. So that meta thing of managing upwards, outwards, and up and out. Um, I've been in meetings or sat in with meeting in meetings with people who, when they come out, they're like, "That was a boring meeting." Oh my god! But did you not see the body language when this was mentioned? And so part of it is, as a as a leader, the responsibility falls to the leader to actually go beforehand. Mm-hmm. There's a power struggle going on between X and Y. Just watch the debate. So it's almost like giving mm-hmm. them an assignment before. If you're going to trail me to this meeting, you need to know that. X and Y have something going on. Tell me at the end three signs that you saw in their body language that that was true. So essentially it's about setting up some assignments that allow people to see in a way they didn't. So when I run a training program, for example, um, I will give people assignments to look at shit they never thought of looking at before. You know, if, if, if motivation is, and to simplify it, motivation is going to be moving away from a problem or moving towards a solution, mm. Which one of those, based on the meeting that you're you're about to go into, which one is each person using? Are they afraid of what's going to happen? So it's essentially giving them good briefs so that they see the different things are happening in the meeting and then a good debrief so they can ask questions. So would it be fair to describe that as a kind of structured coaching session? Right? I call it a structured coaching session, yeah. And I have in the past designed those kinds of interventions so that as a leader you just have to 
here, read this. Now go into the meeting. Now out of the meeting, ask these three questions and give them the chance to do that. Because it's it's not something that leaders are necessarily need to be good at. I mean, we were talking before about outsourcing the podcast. Um, I outsource the podcast uh, production of this podcast to someone else because it's not what I'm good at. Um, and I think as leaders, you need to be, people need to be aware of the need to outsource that stuff to people whose job it is. So my my whole existence um, is essentially about how do people work and how do I how do I communicate that more effectively mm-hmm. to people so that I can help people do that? I remember doing a session with, who was I? Oh, he's doing a session, I won't say who it was, um, with someone that we know. And uh, his team said something like, oh, you know, some of our work is pretty boring. And I said, okay, great, how are you motivating them? And they just looked at me like that was n- not even in their world. I was like, you know, what things might you be able to do? I was like, I don't know. And then I suddenly, the blinding flash of the obvious for me was, you know what, I read seven articles a week on how to motivate people, how to influence, how to persuade, how to be happy, at least seven. I'm blogging three, four times a week because I'm finding stuff and putting it in my blog. My blog is not for everybody else. You can look at it if you want to. (laughs) But the reason it's there is so that I can remember when somebody says to me, I need to know about is it better for me to take notes by hand or type into a thing? And I can go, I know, it's my scrapbook. Exactly. It's my Pinterest. It's my Evernote. It's my whatever. But it's public. So then I can just go, here's the link. Um, You know, when we did that session on asking great questions, for weeks beforehand I was just collecting anything that had anything to do with questions is all there. And then on on the day that we did that session, it was like, here's the one blog post that links to 12 of those. Um, but, yeah, it, it dawned on me when when this, when this they said, you know, it's boring. It's like, well, what are you doing about that? You don't have to make the work not boring. You have to make them okay to do boring work because we don't just come to work to work. Mm-hmm. We come to work to be part of a, uh, of, a, of a team. We come to work to do something greater than we can do by ourselves. We come to work to solve problems that we would never get given as individuals. Um, and I know how to help you make that bit fun, you know, and it was so that the difference between a supervisor and a leader. I, I think so, totally, absolutely. And I think I think there's so much potential, and it's it's actually simpler than we think. Mm. So leaders need to, to come back, circle back to the question. One of the easiest things you can do is give people exposure, but you need to give them exposure in a structured way so that what they're being exposed to helps them, rather than prove to them that there's no way they'd want to be a leader. And I think a lot of times it ends up being a cautionary tale of so I followed, you know, my boss to a meeting and shadowed and went, oh, my God, I don't want that job. And it's like, no, actually you might enjoy it. (laughs) Um, So it's part of that having a structured experience. um, And being supported to address the things that feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and sometimes getting them, inverted commas, professional help uninverted commas I hate when people go quote unquote like how do I know when the quote finishes <laughs> <laughs> quote okay. professional help 
unquote. Oh, you can parenthesis. Yeah. <laughs> it actually sounds like you're dictating. Yes, exactly. <laughs> ah, yes. We just learned that generation. <laughs> Me and Dragon yeah. speak before Google <laughs> started doing it for me. It's, be- it's the sexiest microphone in the world. I love that <laughs> microphone. It's a Blue Yeti and I bought it because it was pretty and because I couldn't tell the difference between it and the other one yeah, that was. The ugly one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> hey, um, professional development on that front Mm -hmm. so you're talking about how much time and effort you put into making sure that you're at the forefront of Mm. what you're doing Mm. which is in large part coaching people to get better at what they do Mm -hmm. people side of what they do working smarter faster and nicer working smarter faster and nicer (laughs) it took me like six months to come up with that (laughs) That it's just beautiful i can see a A banner Uh, well, it's actually a triangle and there are things that happen between the two. And anyway, oh, I love your brain. <laughs> let's move on from the triangle into um, the kinds of things that you find most useful. So obviously we can see the output mm-hmm. on your blog. But mm-hmm. What are the things that really light you up? What do you get excited about? At the moment, I- I've just entered the listening to podcasts phase like in December last year was kind of the first time I regularly started listening to podcasts seriously seriously you've been resisting Liz for that long yes <laughs> I I just it was like where would I fit it into my day um to be to be go, go stru- even more strategic and structural on this I like new things so I hadn't been doing listening to podcasts I'd listened to maybe three in my whole lifetime and then I was like oh I I think I need to listen to what was the podcast it might have been Seth Godin's podcast or it could be Malcolm Gladwell's podcast but someone like that um I was like I will listen to this and then I just got sucked into the podcast Vortex and started Mm. listening to improv podcasts and musical theatre podcasts and business podcasts and the whole Tim Ferriss collection and then Russell put me onto we built this or something how I built this yes um and then I moved into a we. I was in a WeWork office, so anything to do with WeWork came up, and I was like, "Oh, that's really interesting." And then it just it's exploded. Right now, I'm I'm actually sucked into the vortex of the West Wing podcast with a side order of the Good Place podcast. God. So the West Wing Weekly does a weekly. They watch the the show, and then they do a podcast on the show where they recount what happens but they also do things like you know if it's if it's the um uh if it's an episode about tax reform then they'll get someone on and say it's 20 years later talk to us about how relevant this is and what's the new issues in tax reform uh or they got one time they got some of the west wing clips on polling and they put three economists into a room from econ talk or something mm-hmm. like that um, and talked about how valid were the assumptions and the actual things that they said in the West Wing, how valid were they in terms of stats and economics. How chuffed would you be? Yeah. As Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. 
I sort of had that, that content is still relevant enough. Still relevant, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so what do I? What excites me? What inspires me? I'm pretty much inspired by everything, but I'm especially inspired by things that are new. And so, you know, that's this week. Um, there are a couple of uh, newsletters that I consistently subscribe to: uh, the Finance Street podcast, and he has a the Knowledge Project. Shane oh. Parrish, he has a, a weekly. Um, you know, how to be happy, whatever he's gleaned from books. Mm-hmm. And so I like it that he's curating my content for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Farnham Street is one and the other one is Eric Barker, Bucking Up the Wrong Tree. Same deal. They're, they're people who go, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to find out the best of what everybody's known and then I'll bring you the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came from Dan Pink. I love Dan Pink's work, mm-hmm. um, Whole New Mind, uh uh, what was his most recent one? Born to Sell or something like that. Um, just basically he, he's done a series of books. He's really a journalist, but he's a smart journalist, yeah. so he goes and finds out all the research about, oh, he did Drive, the one on motivation. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Dan, I'm on his newsletter and he's yeah. like, these are the two newsletters that I really love yeah. and so I'm doing them. But what excites me? Something new. And um, next year that will be something else. <laughs> <laughs> curation is the skill of the 21st century oh is it so, what well, you know, i'm pretty good at curation creating curating the curators so there's a bit of meta yeah i'm curating the curators who are curating the curators yeah, yeah. exactly it's just also the thing of sometimes you like you don't even know that you have a problem until you've read a blog about it <laughs> This is Cindy Tonkin, I'm the Consultant's Consultant, and you've been listening to Smarter Data People. This is part of what I do to understand how it is that data scientists can be more effective in the workplace, smarter, faster, and nicer. And if you have a team and you're finding them harder to manage than they could be, if you're constantly trying to squeeze more out of your budget and out of their time, and if you've got stakeholders or they've got stakeholders who are less than happy sometimes, maybe a lot more than sometimes, it can be really annoying and it can make you feel incompetent. I can help you help them get to the important problems faster, target the wasted time and save you time and money, and ultimately delight stakeholders so that you can feel competent again. It's such a good feeling. Talk to me.